Oh, such a beautiful evening to you, everyone. Welcome to tonight's second call for this series on restorative justice and social healing in America and beyond. And my name is Molly Rowan Leach. I'm your host tonight and every week. I'm so thrilled tonight um, to go into the, the dialogue with Katie Gilbert. Um, Katie is an incredible woman. I just actually had the pleasure of meeting her in Boise, Idaho at a Justice Stories Film Festival which she co-hosted and co-produced. And um, just a little bit about Katie since tonight's focal point is in social healing and the power of storytelling and providing a platform for people's voices to be heard and for deep listening to occur. Um, just, a, just some words about Katie and her courageous efforts as a co-founder of Stories of Our City. Um, she's based in Beirut, Lebanon, and um, she chases people down on the street to record their stories. She's currently focused on collecting stories in the Middle East, and she works with partners to expand the collection to reflect contributions from around the world. After completing her master's degree focusing on interfaith dialogue and peace studies, Katie studied Arabic in Amman, Jordan, and then moved to Lebanon to see how she could help existing NGOs promote peace. And here's what really moves me about her background. One day, she says, while listening to a podcast, she noticed that hearing someone's story changed the opinion that that person initially held about another and for the better. It hit Katie that there was a need, especially in areas of conflict, for people to understand each other better if they were to move forward with peace efforts. And thus, the Stories of Our City Project was born soon thereafter. <clears throat> so um, there's, uh, there's so much to Katie that, um, that I could share, but that's, that, that is a very powerful little glimpse into her world. And um, of course, the website is storiesofourcity.org. And um, just a few quick words before we go in with Katie tonight about the format of tonight's call and for our weekly calls. This is a maestro platform, which is an incredible way to um, have a sense of who's in the room together and to create a field together and also to have dialogue. And so at a certain point during our call tonight together, I will be opening up the field for questions. And I'll prompt you to press 1 on your keypad so that you can have your uh, mic unmuted. And so the, the idea for tonight is that Katie's going to have a, um, a couple different phases where she's going to drop in and share her experiences and um, introduce you to this work. And then we're going to pause and open up the field and invite you to ask questions, make comments, and she'll dialogue with you. And then we'll go back in and drop back in with her for another 15 minutes or so um, in the next phase of her sharing and, and so on and so forth. The call is scheduled to, to go until 7 to 7, maybe 7.15, depending on, on what our dialogue um, gets going to, what level. So we plan on going very deep tonight into the root cause and core of why this is such extraordinary work and how it affects social healing in the immediate region that she's in as well as beyond in, in the world. And so without further ado, I am just thrilled and honored to invite Katie 
uh, into the circle. And Katie, welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Molly, for having me. And I'm really excited to be able to share with everybody tonight about what I do because I love my job. So this is great. Um, well, like Molly said, my name is Katie, and I live in Beirut most of the time. I'm actually sitting on my grandparents' front porch right now in Atlanta, but I leave for Beirut again on Monday, and so and I'll be there for the following year. And um, I work for Stories of Our City. I actually helped found that organization, and um, and so we started in 2009. And really, what happened was I got my master's in in like focusing on interfaith dialogue and peace studies. And I went to Jordan to start studying Arabic. And I knew that I wanted to be involved in peace studies in the Middle East. I wasn't really sure how that was going to work and what exactly was going to happen. And um, I started talking to some NGOs there, some non-governmental organizations, and starting talking about what the root problems really were of, of the conflict in the Middle East and how to help you know, solve some of those problems. And one of the things that just kept coming up over and over and over again was this misunderstanding, misunderstanding among the people themselves as to what the problems were, misunderstanding among the other countries that are involved in it um, and the people that are involved in, in the conflict because often we, you know, we assume we understand what's going on and we don't really or we don't understand the people themselves. And, um, and so I knew that we, I really wanted to focus on something and help increase understanding and wasn't really sure how to do that because really part of that understanding is trying to help people forgive each other as well because that's you know, a big part of understanding is understanding what caused the conflict and then being willing to move past that. And so I started thinking about, okay, well, we could hand out, you know, understanding flyers and forgiveness flyers on the street, but no one's really going to come to those kind of things. So, you know, what do we do? And um, and so as I was, you know, thinking about it and really working with some other people and, um, you know, dialoguing about what would be the best way to do it, um, I just was reminded again and again of my own love of story and how story has really shaped my own life. And... Um, we started, you know, playing around with some ideas of how we could use story to um, help build understanding and how we could use story even in the, con the regions of conflict to, you know, really increase understanding among people and the conversation of what needs to happen to be able to move forward. And so I came back to the States after studying Arabic and um, went to Boise, Idaho and got connected with Bart and Tracy Cochran, and um, they really kind of Put, I had a whole bunch of jumbled ideas, and Bart and Tracy really stepped up and helped make those ideas a reality. And so we spent about six months kind of crafting the project and trying to figure out what it would look like, and um, we gave it a one-year shot. So that was back in 2009. We were like, okay, let's give it one year and trial run and see what happens. And we just really had incredible response on the ground as well as from Americans and people all over the world who started listening and um, listening to our podcast. We have a weekly podcast sharing story. And um, people started listening to the podcast and really um, began to understand a little bit about what the Middle East is about. And, um, and then in our second year, we started partnering with other organizations from around the world who are already collecting stories. And some of these organizations are using storytelling as um, as a way of healing, as well as you know people who are using storytelling just to kind of get to know their neighbors. So we kind of have lots of different organizations involved, and um, and so we started sharing their stories as well through our website and through our podcast. So now we have about 24 different partners that we've shared stories with in various ways, and um, 
they're spread out all over the world, and we're looking actively looking for more ways to share more stories. And we have a recorder on our website, so if anyone wants to record their story, they can record directly to our website, and we can share it with people that way. And um, and it's really just been really a fantastic couple of years as we've watched how um, how using story has really opened doors in both the Middle East as well as here in the States as um, as we have seen, yeah, just the sharing of story and how well that communicates so much information about the person telling the story as well as the person listening and how it immediately becomes interactive and um, how it really cuts through a lot of the the fringe and the the you know the details that often get in the way in getting to know someone, but jumping straight to a story really just kind of eliminates all of that. And so it's been, yeah, it's been a really great couple of years as we've been working on that. And I'm getting ready to go back and I'll be collecting stories again from Beirut as well as from Jordan, hopefully from some Syrians that are also in um, Lebanon right now. I probably, as it stands right now, I won't be able to go into Syria because they're not letting Americans get into Syria. But I'm also hoping that there are a lot of Syrians that are fleeing to Lebanon. So I'll be trying to get stories from them as well. Um, and then I'm not really sure where else, but I'm sure there will be some other places that this year takes me as um, I work to collect stories from the region and hopefully find a lot of partners outside of the Middle East as well who are using story to um, build community in their own neighborhoods. Um, I'm, I'm just curious, when, when you, you say, um, get, get a story. Tell us a little bit more about your process. Is it literally, as stated in your bio, um, that you chase people down? <laughs> or um, is it a mix of kind of spontaneous like meetings on the street? Oh, and then also um, ideas for um, seeking particular people or organizations out that might be really heavy in the conflict side of things in that region? Or Tell us a little bit more about about how that works, if you would, please. Yeah, I do kind of all of the above. We, I definitely do. Um, there are days where I go out to areas that I know are crowded in Beirut, where have where they have a lot of people, or especially if I'm going to a new city, um, I try to find you know find that place where a lot of people are out and about. And um, Middle Eastern people are typically anyone outside of Americans actually. Very Western people are kind of um, microphone and camera shy, but everybody else seems to really enjoy it. And so I just kind of walk up to people and say, hey, you know, I work for Stories of Our City, and we're trying to increase understanding around the world. And you know, I was wondering if you would mind if I chatted with you for a few minutes. And um, we try to go off to a place that's more quiet. There's really nothing in Beirut that's quiet, but a place that's more quiet. And um, you know, and then I'll just chat with them, then ask them a few questions about, you know, often I start with, you know, what's the best day of your life and let them tell me about that and then what was the worst day of their life and um, let me talk to them about that. And um, amazingly, most most people that I talk to, I've only had two people turn me down when I'm just kind of man on the street. Um, and so, and like it's been a really great way of meeting people and having great conversation right from the beginning as we hop straight into their life um, by asking, you know, those kind of, pretty weighty icebreakers. Um, but then I also do um, just kind of find people through Facebook or through, you know, I Google ideas or things that I'm interested in, um, you know, certain movements that I would be interested in, how that really plays out in, 
where I am. Um, I know that uh, I was going to Jordan, and so I was researching, you know, some of the things that were happening in Jordan, and was able to find a social activist who's using Twitter to raise money for Palestinians clothing and book bags and things like that, as well as you know, helping some Iraqi refugees that are there in Jordan. And um, so I found him on Twitter, and we kind of set up a meeting at a coffee shop in Amman when I got there, and um, I you know interviewed him there um, based on that kind of, you know, just from emailing and Twittering. And so it kind of runs the gamut as far as who I actually talk to and when I talk to them. Sometimes it's much more structured and much more, um, you know, set up an interview. And then other times it's just, you know, very random whoever seems to be, you know, serendipitously set in my path and I talk to them. So, But I guess technically I do chase people down sometimes, but not like <laughs> in a mean way, but more of a, you know, try to, right. try to grab their attention. So, yeah. And you and you yourself live in Beirut. You were sharing with me something. Um, I think it was at, at this last event that we were at together. That you live in a particular section of Beirut. That um, that can you can you tell us that story just really quickly about sure. um, or not so quickly, whatever you feel. <laughs> but I felt I felt that that was a profound sharing um, and significant. And so if you would share with us just your, your demographic in that, in that city, what yeah, that's like for you. Um, I'm actually going to be changing apartments. So when I get back, you know, going to get back into the city next week, I'll be living in a neighborhood that is um, kind of the fringe of Beirut. It's full of Syrian refugees and um, Iraqi refugees, as well as a lot of people that are in cross-religious um, relationships. So in most of the Middle East, you are either Muslim or Christian or some variation thereof. And um, when you can marry outside of your religion, but it doesn't necessarily put you into the normal, in the normal society. And so a lot of people who are married to Muslims or married to Christians um, don't really fit in back in their family homes or in their, fam their neighborhoods. And so this kind of um, neighborhood is full of those kind of people. And um, I'm planning on moving into that neighborhood and really just trying to learn what it means to be a neighbor to them. And um, neighboring is a really big deal in the Middle East. Your neighbor is pretty much like your family. And so really trying to help um, bring some development on a more relational level, level, I guess, instead of coming in and offering a whole bunch of jobs and trying to um, really, you know, do something for the people. I'm really kind of hoping that we can learn together what it means to, um, you know, bring those relationships back into a whole situation where they're living in, you know, right now there's a lot of them that have war in their country and um, they possibly have broken relationships with their families and that's why they're living in this neighborhood. And um, I'm just trying to move in there and see what I can learn from them as well as see what, you know, we can offer together as a neighborhood to um, kind of bring this fringe back to the normal part of Beirut. I don't know if that made sense, but yeah. Mm, that's beautiful, um, and yes, it does make sense. Um, you, you said a word there, relational, and when I think when I think about storytelling um, and social healing, I think about that word, or at least I sense that word in the mix. And I'm wondering, um, before in just a moment, we'll we'll open up the room for for comments and questions. But could you could you just share with us what you what you sense about um, the how do what happens 
what, what happens when someone tells their story? Um, what's your sense of that? And how does that, that perhaps shift the field of, um, between two people or between two countries? Um, and what does that involve in your perspective? Yeah, I think the most interesting thing about what I do is that um, typically when I approach someone, I'm fairly needy because I need them to tell me their story. And so um, I kind of approach them in a place where, in a weird way, because they're the ones I'm, I'm asking for something, that they're kind of in the role of the powerful one in, in the relationship between me and that person. And then in addition to that, I also, you know, I establish that I'm going to be listening and that that's going to be my primary role in the relationship I have with that person for however long we're going to be sitting and talking. And um, it's really crazy how that changes the relationship right from the beginning. Um, I don't know, I mean, there's been a couple of times where I've had to, you know, approach people. I mean, we all had to, you know, come up to strangers and ask them for directions or, you know, something like that. But, um, you know, when I approach someone and I say, hey, I just want to talk to, the, you know, talk to you about you, um, you know, I remember one night we, you know, I was at downtown Beirut and it was just after exams and, you know, so there was a ton of people down there. The universities had just finished their exams. Everyone was out celebrating. And um, I walked up to this group of girls and, one of the girls was like, oh, yeah, I would love to. Let's walk over to this park and we'll sit and talk. And, you know, I asked what the best day of her life was. And she was like, oh, it was graduating from high school. And it was so much fun and everyone was there. And, um, you know, and then maybe two minutes after I met her, I asked her, you know, what was the worst day of her life? And she says, well, actually, it was when, you know, the love of my life, you know, we were, you know, we were in high school together and he was the love of my life. And he came up to me and told me that he had leukemia and he had to go to America for treatment and he went to the States and he died. And um, she said, you know, it was a horrible day and, you know, I, I didn't have any friends and I felt completely alone. And she's like, I, you know, I got to the point where I wouldn't even play basketball because I believed that the earth was my only friend and I didn't want to, like, drop the ball on the earth because it would, you know, damage it in some way. And um, she said, you know, it was a miserable couple of months where I was trying to deal with the death of, you know, this man that had been in my life. And, um, you know, and as I sat there listening to her, the, you know, it was amazing because I'd only met her just a few minutes before. And if I had met her in other circumstances, I'm sure we would have had a lot of small talk and a lot of chit-chat about our own lives and what do you do and, you know, those kind of things. And we would have probably taken, you know, at least an hour to get to the point where we were talking about these, you know, deep wounds that she had in her own heart about her life and what had happened to her. And um, because I was approaching it asking for her story instead of, um, you know, trying to for her also to get to know me, but more of like, please let me know who you are, um, we were able to really quickly get to that point and, you know, have conversation about things that really mattered to, to her. And I think that that's probably the thing that I find the most satisfying is probably not the right word, but the most incredible about what I do is that we get to, because I'm using, because we're asking for stories of their own personal life, we're able to move quickly past the fluff and just kind of, the whole dynamic just changes as we're, as I'm going in, trying to listen first and trying to learn um, 
from that person. And I know Desmond Tutu, um, in his work in South Africa, he talks a lot about like Ubuntu theology, which is an African um, concept of um, of really like knowing who you are because of someone else. And because of your relationship with someone else, you really are able to find your own identity. And I'm a really big fan of that because I found that as I approach them with with you know completely telling them hey, you're very important to me and what you share will actually change who I am. Um, you know that space between us actually becomes something really special because we're actually both really trying to uh, interact with each other in a way that we don't typically do with other humans and especially not with um, other strangers and <laughs> people that just walked into your life. And so uh, the use of story kind of allows us to walk into that space that isn't. Um, that isn't necessarily normal in in most people's lives. That is so beautifully put. Uh, that's I, I, and I love what Desmond Tutu, you know, what you just quoted from him. There's there's a different approach um, it seems in coming into uh, a communication, uh, sharing with another that you're describing there that seems really essential to the process of a deep connection and and not only that a safety and an interest factor that um, that takes someone straight straight into a field, perhaps even a field that that science may be able to prove. Um, certainly, the Institute of Heart Math um, shows us that our toroidal field and our heart field shifts our complete energy um, when we when we're in a space of love. And thinking about someone from from that space, um, approaching someone in that way. So that's that. Thank you for that. That's beautiful. And at, um, Katie, at this point, I'd like to to just invite everyone gathered to press one on your keypad if you have a comment or a question, uh, and we'll unmute your mic. So go ahead and press one right now if you have a comment or a question for Katie. And sometimes there's just a slight delay in. Um, and the ones coming up by your hand. But I, I see we have a couple people here wanting to ask you a question. So let's see here. Let's call on um, Catherine. Go ahead. You're live. Oh, hi, Molly. <laughs> I'm glad you have us on mute because I'm packing my bags, making all kinds of racket, getting ready to come down and visit you. <laughs> so, But I've been listening very deeply also. And I want to thank Molly for that, actually. We had... We had been in telephone conversations, how long, Molly, for maybe about six months. And I made that, right. my, I made that my rule that I wanted to learn how to deeply listen. And thank you for that because in storytelling, you know, everything transforms once you get to that place where you deeply listen. And... Uh, I am glad to know that it was a skill that actually I could learn. <laughs> and it's amazing, and I learned it. <laughs> so in listening to the conversation tonight and, and hearing these, not only hearing, but actually visualizing what you're speaking, 
is, I think, what makes you both great storytellers. And that's the comment I wanted to leave is that thank you. It's a, you're painting beautiful pictures. And uh, as a storyteller myself, I love it when someone can take you to not only deeply listening, but also takes you on a journey and paints these pictures of reality and truth that only that storyteller could possibly give. And you're doing mm. a wonderful job in what you're doing. Thank you so much. Mm, thank you, Catherine. And and um, I, you know, it's it's deeply fascinating to me to think about um, everything that's in the unspoken realm around mm-hmm. the power of storytelling and listening. Um, mm-hmm. There seems to be a very uh, very rich field there, science and. Uh, <laughs> All the all the quantification of that space that that we're so lucky to have in this time that we live in, um, where we really see that that it, it's true um, that we affect one another, you know, mirror neurons. And I think many of you know that I work with James O'D on various projects and help him with events and his website and such. And he speaks very deeply to that aspect of. You know of the field that we share, and of of the aspects of deep listening, and and how it affects the experience, and um, allows us to drop in to a very authentic space. So thank you, Catherine, and um, go ahead and take uh, another question. Uh, Mike, you're live. Yes. Uh, I'll keep the background of this brief, but. Uh, I was over in uh, Saudi and Kuwait during Desert Storm. I always made a point to try to get to know local people wherever I've been. I've had 34 years in the military. And um, I spent quite a bit of time with a young uh, Saudi uh, young man that actually had spent three years in the U.S. as a foreign exchange student. And actually it's a small world because... I actually knew the family that he'd stayed with from years before and didn't even know it. But anyway, the punchline of my question here is we, he and I discussed uh, you know, the religion and uh, culture and for quite, quite a bit of time in the evenings when I was able to get to him. And one night I asked him a question because we're talking about the various religions and, and I, uh, I he was talking about uh, you know his religion and the religion of peace and all that, and I thought I thought I'd establish good rapport with him. And I asked him the question. I said, "Okay, we're talking about you know your religion is religion and peace or anything." I said, "Tell me about Israel." And I saw a transformation in a human being. And I've I've had people try to kill me. So when I'm telling you what I'm saying, this is for real. I'd never seen a human being go through such a transformation. And he just could barely even spit out the words he says, Israel's a different question. And I saw that absolute change in this educated, intelligent young man. And I'm wondering if you've experienced that, if you have any comment on it. It's something that's, I've never been able to talk to anybody before that's uh, been in that part of the world to find out if that was really a unique experience. What was going on there? Thank you. Mm, Thank you, Mike. Go ahead, Katie. Yeah, Mike. I think that um, I think that you have experienced something that's probably more normal than it should be. Um, I think that in my experience in the Middle East, I've lived in the Middle East for about five years. One of it was in the United Arab Emirates, where I was a teacher, and then two in Jordan while I was studying Arabic, and then two more in Beirut. And 
Um, in Jordan and in, Be- in Lebanon specifically, there, there's a lot of hurt about what's happened in Israel in the last 60 years. Um, there are a lot of issues, like politically and otherwise, that have um, affected normal people's lives in Lebanon and in Jordan. And I think that often you will talk to them and they will have a very philosophical and um, learned response about, you know, whether or not their religion is a religion of peace and whether or not the best way to accomplish peace is through, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, bombings or, you know, war or however they want to, you know, go about establishing the peace. You can talk to them on one level about that. Um, But then when it comes to Israel, it becomes much more of a personal thing. And I kind of, um, you know, it's, it's more like, you know, it's okay for you to um, hit your brother, but if anyone else hits your brother, it's not okay. And, you know, it's kind of that situation where you know, they all talk about this in, in philosophical terms, but when it actually comes down to the relationship of, of their country or their people and Israel, um, it, it takes on a different, a different tone completely. And unfortunately, one of the reasons is most of them have never even met an Israeli, don't have a clue what it means to be Israeli, um, think that most Israelis are all the same, um, and they get mad that people think that, you know, their country is all the same, but it's, it boils down to they just, you know, they don't understand that the people there um, are the same as the people that are in their country, and, you know, they're trying to establish peace in whatever way they can, and so typically when that, when I encounter that kind of um, situation, I have in my, I've, I've done it a lot of different ways. <laughs> And the way I'm settling on now is, um, you know, I I ask, okay, I understand that, you know, things, you may think things are different between, you know, Israel and any other country, but, you know, what do you think the solution would be? Like, how how would this be solved in your mind? And um, really trying to get them to stop dialoguing only about the problem, because that is where a lot of people, um, the conversation ends is where the problem is, Um, but really trying to help them say, okay, how can we move you know, towards the solution, and what is, and you know, what your what what is your solution, and is that really viable? Like, is you know, could that really happen? And what can you do, you know, today in your country to kind of make it be a more uh, a more of a reality? Like, what can you do to help bring that solution to to bear in the situation? And um, because most people in the Middle East don't feel like they have much of a say in their government. Um, which is what we've seen in, you know, in the last year with you know, the Arab Spring, people trying to have more of a say in their government. And so I think a lot of them kind of feel um, like no one's ever asked them to do something to bring peace in that situation. And so kind of putting it back on them and letting them see that they have that option um, makes it be more of, okay, well, it may be personal between you and Israel. Like Israel may have hurt you or hurt your family particularly. Um, in whatever way through, I mean, I know many people who have had their house bombed or, you know, their father killed or, you know, it's been, you know, it was a war and people got killed and they blame, you know, Israel. Um, And so, you know, you may have been hurt by the country, but that also needs you in a space where, you know, you can bring part of the solution and also just trying to help them think of, you know, a forgiveness as an option because it's not... Uh, it's definitely on the lower end. Uh, if they think of it as an option, it's definitely not something that springs to mind very quickly <laughs> when you ask for a solution. So trying to help them um, think of other solutions that might be better than what you know what they think. So I don't know if that answers your question, but 
I would say that you're not, it wasn't rare that this young man said that to you. And that, transfer, that transformation happens quickly. Um, and, um, but again, it just boils down to misunderstanding of what it is and what even the problem is um, that they're trying to solve. So. Thank you very yeah. much. I, you know, thank you. Okay, I hope I answered your question. <laughs> oh, you, 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 did, you answered it, and, uh, and and again, one of the things, I'm on the uh, Peace Ambassador course with James O'Day. I just started it last night, and I'm hearing what you just said, which is try to find out what's underlying the problem. And so you reinforce something that I've been trying to do myself for a long time, and and so, again, I... I Thank you. Yes, you answered my question and also laid out something that uh, a, a, a tool to be used to next time I run into these situations. Right now, I'm working with some gangs here in the states, and so it's going to be valuable to me. Well, great. Mm. Thanks for asking your question. No, yeah, thank you, Mike. Um, thank you so much for being here tonight, too, and. Um, I just would like to, to quickly comment on, on what you, you shared, Mike. Um, as you were sharing that story, I also got this sense of, of a very visceral subconscious or, or maybe just below conscious level of, of what was occurring to this person's body when, when they um, shifted their attention. And I often wonder, and I certainly don't have the answers, but I know that James O.D., um, and many of my colleagues have wonderful insights into how to work with that energy because you can literally see it come over someone and it closes them down. Um, and it's not really necessarily them, and yet it is them. And one of the things that I really appreciate about what James offers um, in those situations is that you don't speak to the energy of that, that which is overtaking the person. But you, it's almost like an Aikido move, he describes it like, where you, you kind of take the back door and you, you try not to get pulled in to that, that, that stuckness or that darkness or the, the hatred or the unforgiveness. And you, 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 stay, you stay aware and connected, but you, you take kind of the side door around to their deeper being. And sometimes that's something that you can't even necessarily do in um, the spoken realm and certainly in the unspoken realm. Um, having that that centered presence in your own being is really integral to that process. So, um, thank you so much again, Mike, for that that comment and question. And um, we have one more person that would like to ask a question, Katie, or make a comment. Okay. So, go ahead, Anahata. You're live. Oh, hi. Well, um, I'm just appreciating. Molly, just what you've rephrased there, it's wonderful to hear those principles um, re-expressed so that I can remember them more and deeper, <laughs> um, having taken the Peace Ambassador course. And um, um, Katie, I was really uh, so fascinated by your choice and your courage to move into a community of people who have become the fringe for, as you're describing it, they've had the courage to move out of their traditional patterns and do something different. And that's such a, a rich place to be um, mm -hmm. 
to because out of that energy moves this new kind of story, a whole story. So there you are in a community that's that's telling its own new story by living in some non-traditional ways. So that sounds fascinating. But I, I think my my question to you, and I, because we're just getting started to know about your work, um, I have a couple of questions that people, I guess people that are on Facebook and Twitter getting so used to just telling stories and just jumping in and saying, this is who I am. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering, are there people reluctant? Or are they wondering why you want the story or what you're going to do with this material? Or um, is your, you know, at one point I thought I heard you say the purpose of this is generating um, love. Um, but then now with Mike's question, you take it to another level where it's when you hear stories, there are ways of um, reframing what's up so that people can have conversations without losing their equilibrium. So I think I'm just needing a little bit of clarity around um, story collecting. Okay. Um, yeah, as far as like people's response, um, I've only had two people ever tell me that they weren't available, and that's when I'm like walking up to them with a microphone in my hand. And most of them were actually waiting for someone who was arriving at that time. Um, most people that I've approached in um, in you know, whatever country I've been in, they when you, especially when I explain that I'm here to you know, help increase understanding around the world, and that you know a lot of Americans really need to understand what life is like here in this country, and you know I'm trying to share that through story. Everyone I have talked to, um, they've been like, oh yes, we definitely need to help Americans understand. Americans have a lot of power, and we need to help them understand who we are, and they don't understand who we are. So where's the microphone? And um, I've even been at parties where I've been telling people what I do, and they're like, what? When you know, I have to explain it, they're like, oh you brought your recorder tonight, right? Because I've got tons of stories and you know, Americans definitely need to know <laughs> what we are about. So I think that, you know, there's the the willingness to share is abundant. Like there, you know, I could spend all day with people, you know, like in whatever part of the neighborhood I happen to be in, um, or whatever part of the city or wherever in the world, people are really, really really willing and and I think maybe with Facebook and Twitter that's kind of increased that. But um if if someone who already has an audience is willing to share their story, um, it makes them feel really important, I think, in a lot of ways. And so they're really, um, they're really game. Like they're just like game on. You know, when do you when do you want to start? Um, so that's been really fun just to watch people. When I first started, I wasn't really sure how how it would happen and what would the response be. Um, but even among like security guards, and I mean, I go downtown into downtown Beirut, which is like, you know. Full of security guards and you know you know army people with M16s trying to you know make sure that downtown stays secure and you know no matter like where I, where I go even they you know when I tell them what I'm doing they're like oh that's great like we're so glad that you're you know you're sharing and you know you can set up wherever you want just not right here in front of the parliament building or you know um, so the response has been you know very um, yeah, very incredible. And as far as like the purpose, I would say that I think that it is um, it is kind of all of those. And I definitely want to um, increase that. Like for me personally, I think um, it's 
it's definitely helping that person feel loved and feel that they that they have been heard and that they are important and that though there may be six billion people in the world that we all matter and that um, you know so as I'm sitting down with them individually that's that is my goal is that for me to 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 learn from them and for me to understand who they are and to really um, yeah just become a, a, I guess a bigger person by listening to them um, and that you know that they would feel that as well that they would feel that they are important and that, that their story matters and that um, you know their role on this planet is is not overlooked simply because of where they're born or their own experience and that everyone has something to offer and that we that we really can learn from each other and that um, and that that is really beautiful as we sit down to do that together um, and then I also hope that we do sometimes we have story events where we actually collect people from you know different walks of life and different uh, avenues and different political parties even and um, have them sit into a space and share stories together and I think that it's in those moments um, that we really uh, get to see a lot as they are learning from each other um, and as I'm learning from them as well that that's when I guess I get to see more of the conversation turn towards you know helping them have a bigger understanding of um, of conflict, of what happened, what what are their options in response to that, um, you know, trying to help them move past just the problem and moving into a solution. And you know, that's never necessarily the goal of a conversation that I have because I I don't I don't want to be the kind of person who's looking to twist what they're saying and not really listening to what they're having to say, but trying to accomplish something from what they're saying. But um, as the conversation turns that way, uh, you know, I definitely hope that together we would be able to come up with, you know, a, a space that would make them be open to more more things, like what you said, like without disrupt, disrupting who they are or what they understand to be normal, um, also allowing them to you know, have a, a better understanding of maybe how I would, attack, you know, how I would go about solving a conflict, or um, you know, how I would approach, you know, the war and my politics of the war. Or I mean, for instance, we were having a, we were meeting together. There's about ten of us um, in this place. This space is called plus or minus ten, and it's a little tiny table basically, and it has a wall around it. And, um, and they have community events in this space, and they just kind of, you know, collect ten people and they put them in the room, and we talk about whatever we want to talk about. And um, and so we were going to do a story night, so we were telling stories about our childhood. And in Beirut, if you're telling stories about childhood, you're telling stories about war, because there's been, you know, if you're under the age of thirty, you've lived through at least four wars, maybe even more than that. And so, of course, the conversation of war, you know, came up and what the effects of war were. And there was actually a guy there who had been, who had fought for one of the militias, and another guy who had been, you know, his his family had been injured by that same militia that that guy had fought for. So they were on opposite sides in um, in many ways. And you know, talking with them about what the war was and what that meant. Um, but not in a way of like a philosophical way, but in a very personal way of what was the war like for you and what did, how did it shape you and was that a good thing or a bad thing and you know what were the things that you feel like were um, shaped in you that you would have learned no other way, like being resilient and you know being a survivor and you know those kind of things that that the war instilled in you that you that you look back on and you think, oh, those were good things to learn, but then also you know what were the things that wounded you in ways that um, you know, you you wish you'd never had to live through in ways that you 
know, you didn't you didn't want to experience. And so, you know, talking about that in a very personal way um, through the through using story allowed us to not just talk about the politics of it, which is what we typically do, um, at least in the Middle East, there's a lot of politic talk. Um, but you know, to be able to talk personally about that, and we actually had, you know, a, probably a 30-minute conversation about whether war was good, and you know, the people who had stories about how the war had, you know, birthed in them things that, like endurance and surviving and, um, you know, perseverance. You know, they all wanted to talk about that. And then the people who had been wounded by losing family members or spending weeks in a bombed-out basement. And, you know, they wanted to talk about that and how, you know, they should not have had to, you know, endure that. And so I think that, you know, though I wasn't going into that conversation with an agenda, per se, um, as those kind of things bubble to the top, we are able to, you know, discuss them in, yeah, and for me to be able to, you know, influence in a way that doesn't, that doesn't make them feel like that what they say is not important, but for me to learn from them as well as they, you know, are learning from me. Oh, thank you. All so rich. Very wonderful. Thank you. Mm. Thank you, Katie. Wow. <laughs> Um, and thank you, Anahata, Mike, and Catherine. And I just would like to invite anyone else that might have a comment or a question before we move into the next phase of our evening together. So just go ahead and press 1 if you would like to say anything else before we go in for this uh, closing phase. I know. Um, I'd like to, uh, tonight when we, right before we close, I'd like to hear a little bit more about how people can, or I will share, or Katie, about how people can get more involved in hearing about um, stories of our cities. And also if you would like to make um, any kind of donation to Stories of Our City, I believe you can do that at, at storiesofourcity.org. Right, Katie? Yes, that's correct. Is that true? Okay, mm -hmm. great. And do you have an email list, Katie, that people can, yes, can sign up for if they're interested? Where, where they do they go to? On our website, as soon as like with the little, there's a little box that pops up, and there's a website, a, a newsletter sign up, and they can just put their email address in there, and then we'll add them to the the list. And we basically send out a, an email every week, just telling a little bit about the story that we have coming up, and um, you know, and then any mm. other information about the project. So if they would right. like to sign up for that, we would love to have them included. And I notice you also have a beautiful photo gallery of various people that have told stories or. It is the storytellers themselves and then some vignettes from different regions, right? Right. Yeah, very lovely. Um, so what's really rich for me tonight, I mean, there, there's so much has come up. And um, you've, you've already shared some really deep personal experiences, Katie. Um, that I'd, I was, I'd like to, to just invite you to share Perhaps um, either your own, like what what is your story, and why did it bring you to this moment a few years ago when when you decided that you needed to do this amazing work? Um, was there what was there a piece for you that just um, made it, you know, just a, a an irrevocable commitment? And a courageous one at that, or, 
or um, could you share with us a moment that you perhaps have witnessed of a great opening that has occurred and or a feeling or a forgiveness moment, something extraordinary and perhaps surprising that you've seen happen in, in the stories um, and in the people themselves? Um, yeah, I don't even know which one to pick. Um, I guess from like, as far as my story is concerned, um, I growing up I had a crazy bad temper when I was in like junior high and high school, and um, I think that early on as I was forming who I was, um, anger and anger management played a fairly big role in, in making me be who Katie is, and. Um, and then, and so as I look back on, you know, how I've been shaped, I think that I didn't realize then that I was learning, you know, I was learning how not to break dishes when I unloaded the dishwasher because my sister was being stupid or, um, you know, not to respond to my brother in anger when we were play fighting or, you know, whatever. But um, as I, you know, it ended up becoming pretty much a daily exercise for me to not just, to not explode and get angry. Um, and looking back on it, I think, wow, you know, even from an early age, I was learning conflict management. Um, I didn't realize it, but I was, you know, it was becoming a part of my story, um, even from early in high school when I was learning how to how to deal with that issue, even within my own life. And then, you know, as I started studying and the more I started on this track, um, I think as far as like what has really cemented me to life in Beirut, um, I shared this at this story event that we just had last weekend in Boise. And I was there in 2006. Um, I was actually getting my master's and I was there working with you know, a few NGOs um, trying to you know, figure out how I, how I would work in the Middle East and what I would do. And um, it was, and what, everything I went to do in Beirut ended up falling apart. Like there ended up being not really a job for me to do and um, I had a lot of downtime. And it was the first time in my adult life that I had time just to myself and um, time just to think about who I was. And, um, and I realized a lot about what I had been thinking and doing and, and way I, ways I was you know, finding my identity um, were really false and were built on um, lies that I had believed about myself and about other people and, um, and that I was doing a lot of stuff just to please other people and with no real concept of, um, of who that would make me be and um, kind of just being a slave to other people's opinions. And, um, and so, you know, I really, um, I, as I was sitting there and having all that time to kind of deal with that, um, it, the Hezbollah actually kidnapped three Israeli soldiers. And what went from being a perfect summer and tons of fun in Beirut um, within 24 hours was, you know, full-blown full, full war for 33 days in all, in all of Lebanon. And I ended up leaving Lebanon early, and I got on a plane about three hours before the airport was bombed. And as I was leaving Lebanon, I was really just kind of thinking about how, how – my life really mirrors a lot of what she is like. Like she, Lebanon, Beirut, they, you know, everything looks really good on the surface and everything looks really great. But as you start digging down into their life, um, you find that a lot of things are broken because of the war and a lot of things don't function the way they should. And, um, and at that time in my life, that's really exactly where I was. Um, I had put on a good show. I was in grad school. I had you know, career plans to change the world. But um, when it came down to it, I was realizing that I was really broken and that I really needed, you know, grace and forgiveness and mercy. And, um, and so 
I think that, that it was at that moment that I just really knew that I was supposed to spend the rest of my life in Beirut and that I was supposed to be in a place where I would be reminded of that often. And so as I experience the things that are broken in Beirut, I get to be reminded of, you know, how I'm broken and how I need to, um, yeah, to have space for mercy and forgiveness in my own life. And um, and I think that maybe that is one of the reasons why I so enjoy hearing other people's stories and um, I so enjoy those moments where the conversation turns from simply, you know, sharing to really entering each other's lives. And um, I think back, um, one of those stories is Maya's story, um, her stories on the internet, um, one of our podcasts. And um, she was telling the story oh, about story. that. She was Sorry, that Katie. Story. What's the title of that story? Oh, so people I don't can actually know. I, I can I can find it. I'm like okay. chatting in the other room. I can go get my computer and look it up. And um, but we were sitting there and um, talking about like you know different things, and we were actually talking about the 2006 war. And I was telling her my story of how I got there and how I was in Beirut, and I said, you know, so, you know, were you here? And um, and she was like, oh, yeah, I was here, and I was trying to, um, you know, trying to go to work, and, you know, the bridge was closed, and I couldn't get to work, and, you know, I had to, um, she was like, I basically just valet parked. I mean, it was, you know, Hezbollah, so they just, like, you know, I said, take care of my car. Don't let anybody do anything to it, and, you know, walked across the bridge to work, and, um, and so we were just talking about, you know, what that, what that was like and, um, you know, what it was like for her to be um, in that, you know, in that moment of war and chaos and everything around her. And, um, you know, and she just, I mean, she just really kind of, you know, broke down and, um, you know, was just like, you know, it's so normal here in Beirut for this to be, to be the case. It's just so normal. Um, but, you know, it really has, you know, long, long-lasting effects on who we are and, um, and then for her, she went into her story about how she, you know, found her mother had been murdered and she walked in and found her mother laying on the floor and deep wounds from the war that have, um, you know, still she doesn't want to live in Beirut. She lives outside of Beirut with her father so that, you know, they don't have to live in the city and she commutes every day and, and still there's turmoil in, you know, Beirut constantly and, and it's unstable and, and how that's affected her and, and then as we talked about that, just to have her, um, you know, she was just like, you know, thank you for letting me share this. Everyone in Beirut has these kinds of stories. And so we don't talk to each other about them because, you know, it, it's like, well, I don't want to add, add to your story. And she's like, thank you for coming and listening and letting me share because, you know, it's, it's in sharing that I really think that we can, we can be healed and we can really, you know, start to work on the solution for this. And so, you know, as I was sitting there and, you know, and just blown away by what she was sharing as far as her story, um, but then also for her, you know, I was just so grateful that she told me. And then for her to say, you know, oh, no, thank you for listening. Um, you know, it's moments like that that I go, yeah, you know, we all really become from, really broken pieces and, you know, though we may not have, we may have deep wounds in our lives from, you know, whatever it has happened to us or things maybe we've even done, um, you know, that there's this commonality of, you know, just coming together and, and really just sharing that makes that, um, it just makes it really special. And so um, I think that as I, 
as I've had the opportunity to do that, you know, again and again with people. Um, that's actually something I've really missed while I've been here. It's not been, while I've been in the States, it's not been a, the routine of my life to go out and get a story every week. And, you know, I really miss that because I really learn so much as I um, spend that time with people. Maybe there's a recorder in front of us, but just really spending that time with each other and really, um, you know, just with people I don't necessarily know and trying to get them to be in, yeah, just to really open up and for us to share something together as I listen to them. And, you know, I, I, I didn't really have a whole lot to say to Maya and what she'd had, what had happened to her and what had um, gone, you know, what she'd gone through. But she also didn't really need me to say anything. She just really needed me to listen to her. And, um, and so um, I think when, you know, when people say, you know, those moments that, you know, those moments that change from just being us sitting together laughing and having a good time to being moments that really you know, impact both my life and the storyteller, um, I think of Maya. And there's lots of others, but I definitely think of Maya. That is so powerful. And I love how you, you know, you touch on quite a few things there around um, what what may be the key aspects to uh, storytelling as as a a very visceral act of social healing, and that um, it appears that that we've been conditioned to think that our stories are are burdens, or that it, that it's a burden, perhaps. Wouldn't you say, Katie? That I mean, you probably come up. You just you just shared something about Maya. That right. you know, she 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 perhaps and and we all seem to be conditioned to some degree or another that our stories are, if we share them with another, we're burdening that other person. So right. you, I think you really got into a depth there um, of of what's critical is for what appears to be critical is for us to understand first of all that we're safe. And that vulnerability is actually safety um, right. to be vulnerable with another and to provide that for each other. And then the understanding that's, that's implicit that our stories are our gifts. Right. Dig that, you know. I mean, that our stories are our gifts. And so to me, what you provide is one of the most powerful Yes, by giving a person a platform and doing it authentically as you do um, for something extraordinary to come to the surface. And you know, certainly I don't know all the answers exactly to what happens in that place, but something extraordinary nonetheless happens when someone is allowed to bring that to the surface and to feel a sense of of universality even at some point, that they are not alone, that they're, that they're not enclosed in this story, um, that in fact others may even share something very similar. And um, that seems to be a place where great openings happen, not just for, for the local, but for the non-local, for, for the collective field. Um, probably many of you know about constellation work, and we won't dive into that tonight. But um, the constellation work really covers the collective story and the unwinding of of the wound 
So um, thank you so much for sharing that, that your own story and your, um, your sharing with Maya. And I'd, I'd like, Katie, now to just, um, again, open up for comments, questions, and um, we, we still have a little bit of time left for, for a little bit more dialogue with the circle. And I want to thank everyone for being here tonight together. This has been incredible. So just, uh, again, go ahead and, and press 1 on your keypad if you'd like to make a comment or if you have a question for Katie. Press 1 on your keypad. And so um, while we're waiting for anybody that I'm sure there's, that people are just stunned with what you've shared tonight and, and the depth that we've gone to, Katie, and um, just I'll just say to the group right now, if you have a comment or question, just press 1 and I will call on you. But um, I'm going to go ahead and, and ask Katie a little bit more about how people um, can share their stories. And where, where do people go, Katie? Do they just simply go to the website, or, or how does that work? Yeah, the best way to do that is just to go to our website, storiesoversity.com. And um, there's a tab at the top that says Participate. And one of those ways that you can participate is a recorder that you can actually use the microphone on your computer or your headset that you use to talk, you know, Skype or Gmail or you know, Google Chat or whatever. Um, you can actually use that re that microphone to record your own story. Um, and then also, if there's any um, story organizations or story you you've recorded an event or you want to record some stories from your neighborhood or you know your organization, um, we would love to share those on our website. So you can you know just email me at storiesoversity at gmail .com and we can talk about that and talk about how to um, you know how to share those stories, how to collect those stories. Um, you know, if you want the experience that I have of just you know being able to have these incredible conversations, that you want to go and do that yourself, we we would love that. We would love to help you know to have a a field of people who are going out trying to you know love the people that are around them and learn from them and you know share that story with us so that we can love them and learn from them. Um, and so you know we're hoping that there'll be other people who want to join in in collecting stories and helping you know letting this cycle kind of you know increase its its sphere and you know become bigger. And so anything that you would like to do to help in that way, we would love to hear from you. You can just email me. Um, yeah, and I think that that's probably if you know the storytelling organization that you know, we don't have on our website, please let us know, um, and you know we'll contact them and try to partner with them in helping our audience hear about their story. Thank you, Katie. And, and also, um, do you have any upcoming on-the-ground events that you would like to share? Um, I know that this last weekend in Boise was extraordinary. And in fact, um, James O'Dee was up there, and he presented his own story of justice. And I thought it was a profound event. And I, I really, if you don't have anything planned, I hope that you'll keep us um, connected with, with anything in the future. Yeah, we're actually hoping that as soon as I get back to Beirut, we're gonna we're gonna try to start um, a monthly storytelling event there in Beirut, where we're doing so, where we're actually bringing people in, not just one on one sharing stories, but also trying to increase 
the number of people that are listening and interacting with those stories. And so um, having a storytelling event to you know, let people just share with each other and really take some time to listen and um, enjoy the community that we, you know, don't normally get to take that time to do. And so um, we'll hopefully be starting that like no later than um, the end of December. Hopefully we'll have our first one. Um, I, I'm heading back now, but I'm actually traveling a bit in November. So, um, you know, I'm not, hopefully we can do it in November. But I'm, I'm, my goal is to have it by December for sure. Um, and then also just continue that for the whole next year while I'm there is just to really build that um, storytelling and listening uh, as a part of the community where I am. And so um, hopefully, you know, increase that. And then we're also hoping to share the film that we watched. Um, we watched Fumble Talk, which is a film on forgiveness in Sierra Leone. And we're hoping to partner with um, some organizations there in Lebanon to share that film as a way of a sparking conversation on forgiveness and how um, how would that change the fabric of the Lebanese political situation and even just cultural situation among themselves if they were really to um, to have forgiveness as a, as as the new cultural norm instead of um, sort of division, which is, which it is now. And so we're hoping to partner with Lebanese organizations to kind of get that as widely seen as possible and um, just mainly to have that conversation. Is there? It's a film about sharing stories and how that's brought forgiveness. And so we want to to you know help them find the Lebanese way to to do that very thing, share their story, and you know offer forgiveness to each other. Mm. Beautiful. Oh my goodness. Um, well, we have we actually have uh, a hand up in the circle, and uh, we do have a few minutes left. So why yeah. don't we go ahead and. Open it up, and uh, then we'll go into closing. So go ahead, go ahead, Catherine. Yes, I just want to thank you so much. This has been so enjoyable, and congratulations on the work you're doing. It just sounds so fascinating to me. You you really do have a lot of courage to do that, and I I think it clearly comes from your ability to know who you are. And so what a light! And I'm really looking forward to the work that's going to be put out in the future. I'm sure it will be, you know, world-changing. Of course. Why not? Why not? That's the only reason you're doing it, I'm sure. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. I'm so glad you came to be part of this conversation tonight. Oh, you're welcome. And, and one other comment that I just would like to make and then ask Katie for any closing comments, and that's... Um, just a sense of the power of um, we have this conditioning of not being heard, particularly in our lives. And I think we share that as a common story, perhaps. And so providing that space to be heard is, is such a, a, a key element to the social healing and storytelling process, is it not, Katie? Yes, I think so, and I think that that's um, I think that's probably the most powerful thing about um, what I do as far like when the people themselves feel like, wow, she's she's providing space to be heard and to be heard by not just her but other people as well through the podcast and the website. Um, I think that that's when they you know that's that's why they agree to tell their story. That's why they want to be involved in the first place is because. Um, because it is, it's one of those common themes of, you know, really just, you know, having that need as humanity to be, um, 
yeah, to be heard and to be to be told that you know your story is is helpful and your story is is not pointless. Like there, you know, you we want to hear it and we want to learn from it. And so um, I think that and that what you said about like you know the story, you know, the, your story is the is the gift. And um, you know to be able to say that to someone. I mean, I know if someone said it to me, I would be like, well, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, thank you. And so because um, it's not necessarily the way I, it's not the script I feel of my story. Um, you know, that's not the, necessarily the way I always feel about my life. And so um, to have to have that offered to you. Um, yeah, it just it just changes you know the whole dynamics of the relationship, and so um, I would totally agree with you that that is that is where you know the power lies. Mm. Well, thank you again so much, Katie, um, for being with us tonight. Um, again, this is Molly Rowan Leach of Molly Rowan Presents, and. Our focus this fall and into the winter, actually, through the end of this year, Molly Rowan Presents is hosting um, people, way showers, leaders in social healing and restorative justice in America and beyond. And I'm, I'm just deeply honored, Katie, that you would take some time tonight to be with us. And don't, don't forget to go to storiesofourcity.org to check, check out the podcast, to make a donation, to sign up for the e-news, and to stay connected with this very deep and important work. I'm sure it will only grow, and it's providing a platform that is so essential and necessary to the greater collective, um, as well as to that immediate region. Thank you so much, Katie. And, oh, well, um, thank, thank you so much for having me, really. <clears throat> I feel honored that people listened. So thank you for you know, mm-hmm. taking the time out of your evening and listening to me and, you know, joining in this conversation. It is it has definitely been, you know, a gift to me and I am very grateful. Mm. So make sure um, to stay in touch uh, with Katie through storiesofourcity.org and I also will be sending out an email with the recording of tonight's dialogue and forum to you all, and we'll also send some hot links in that email to make sure that you stay well connected as you see fit. And finally, I just, I'm really honored and excited too about the, the path ahead here for this series. Some of the guests will include Azim Kamisa, and James O'Dee is actually going to be joining us um, either late November or early December. Um, Azim Kamisa will be December 1st, Thursday. And uh, Dr. Judith Thompson is on October 27th. Next week's guest is to be confirmed, but it's very possibly going to be Matthew Albright from the Peace Alliance. The Peace Alliance is actually starting to do quite a bit of focus in restorative justice and in their action work in DC. So um, my website where you can follow the series and download any of the forums that you wish is Molly Rowan Presents. Dot com. That's www.mollyrowanpresents.com. And as Katie so beautifully says, um, may your days and your week be filled with stories. And thank you so much, everyone, and have a great night. Peace.
You are currently the only person in this conference. Mm -hmm.